Today on Paladin Financial Talk, we're going to get a market update with Jeremy Bryan of Gradient Investments and also get some feedback from a long-term listener. This is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley from Paladin Financial. Basically, the more accounts you have, the more opportunities there are for mistakes. So taking control of your assets may help you to avoid some of those common mistakes that investors make. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money, and your plans in perfect harmony. And now, here is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Foley with Paladin Financial, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Paladin Financial Talk. We've got a great show, despite the fact that we do not have our lovely remote host with us here today, Mr. Tony Shore in absentium. Uh, Tony's uh, out uh, with uh, under the weather, so we wish him the best. And uh, I do have a special guest with me here today, Mr. Jeremy Bryan, who's a portfolio manager, a CFA with Gradient Investments, the portfolio manager that we utilize here at Paladin Financial. And uh, he's going to get out his crystal ball. He's dusting it off as we speak here. <laughs> so we'll, we'll hear more from Jeremy. But how are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing well, Mr. Foley. How are you? Very good. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Before we get into the show, though, and talk about the market, I mentioned with some uh, feedback from one of our long-term listeners a while back on one of our shows. I shared uh, a little recommendation, a Costco recommendation, which is a little dangerous, but um, our family gets this uh, pizza, Motor City Pizza Company from Costco, frozen pizza. Thought it was pretty good. And uh, one of our our clients and long-term listeners uh, notified me that was not the case. So I hope he's listening to this. I listen. I listen. I'm not going to stop eating it, but I'll stop sharing that recommendation. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the market, which is on everyone's minds right now. Inflation, interest rates, all that fun stuff. And uh, with us again, Jeremy Bryan, who's one of the portfolio managers at Gradient Investments. And Jeremy, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about what you do. What exactly do you do? (laughs) What do you do here, Bob? Uh, Yeah, really what I do is I manage investments for advisors across the country. And so what we're really trying to do is manage toward an objective. And sometimes that objective is preservation. Sometimes that objective is income. Sometimes that objective is growth. And sometimes it's a mixture of all three. And so we have portfolios across the board that we try to manage that meet those objectives. And so whether we're using individual stocks or whether we're using bonds or ETFs, we're always trying to manage to those objectives. So that's the main part of my job every day. Excellent. That's good. That's good. Uh, so I like to tell people in, in our office, we have two monitors, Jeremy and uh, others on his team have four monitors. So <laughs> yes. tw- twice mm. as smart, more charts and graphs. Uh, but Yeah. So what do you enjoy about what you do every day? Yeah. The most simple thing is I learn something new every day. Uh, The markets can be humbling. There's no question about it. But if you're a curious person, there is a reservoir that is endless to know. I can be a pseudo expert on a utility company one day and a real estate company the next and try to figure those things out. And having the ability to do that while still building portfolios and working with people to understand what their objectives are, it, it it's fun and new and interesting every day. Awesome. Awesome. So you're kind of a superhero in the investment world. What, <laughs> what's your uh, finance guy? <laughs> you can see the cape now. Big F on the back. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what is your, what's your origin story? 
Yeah, so origin story is really simple. Uh, you know, I was, a, I was a Northeast Minneapolis kid, born and raised. Um, just kind of fell into the markets, and it was one of those things where when you figured it out and when, when you kind of realize what you want to do, because, again, it's where your interest and your curiosity lies. That's really where it came from. So from my perspective, I was always chasing what that, where I could do that and where I could do it well. And so I was educated here in Minneapolis and then went out to New York for a few years. Then came back, and the wonderful folks at Grady and allowed me to do what I want to do on a daily basis, which is the best thing you can ask for, I guess. Cool. That's good. Did, did you have a family member or someone in your life that was influential that kind of steered you down that road or stumbled into it yourself? No, stumbled into it myself. I mean, the real the real scenario is, is I didn't grow up with a whole heck of a lot. And so it was one of those things where it's like, hey, if I can learn about this and avoid some of those pitfalls, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. And it kind of rolled into a career. Awesome. Very good. Well, you do a great job at it. What um, What is your focus or your specialty area? You know, in the investment world, there are a lot of moving parts there. What's kind of your wheelhouse? Yeah. So, you know, I quote unquote grew up in individual equities, right? And most of our team kind of has that expertise in their scenarios because it, it's a unique animal and the effect of you get to know businesses very well. And when you can do that, you can kind of understand why markets do what they do. Certainly not in the short term, you're not always going to be right all the time, but it helps in that regard. And so that's why, you know, kind of our, our landscape and our history are all kind of in the individual equity markets. And then subsequently, we've developed expertise in the fixed income spaces, ETFs across the landscape to understand exposures and really build across the landscape. So I'm kind of a, at this point, a little bit of a Swiss army knife. Um, but yeah, my history is primarily in individual stocks. Okay. That's good. All right. So with that as your kind of the backdrop here, we're going to do four rounds and just talk about some different topics that are on a lot of people's minds right now. We get questions from, from clients. We have questions ourselves, but round one, we're not even going to stretch here. We're going to just jump right in and talk about the big <laughs> I inflation. Uh, so we were at, uh, together the Great Investments Elite Advisor Forum last week, a great annual conference that uh, I love to go to. A lot of good speakers, a good local one here that's a favorite of mine, Brian Belsky Mm -hmm. of BMO, uh, said something that really stuck with me. And he's got a lot of memorable quotes, not all of which are appropriate for the podcast. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) he said, when it comes to market indicators, don't focus as much on good or bad, but on better or worse. Um, So, looking at trends and what direction are things headed in, where is inflation at now and is it seem to be slowing down? Yeah, I'll answer that in a couple of questions um, or a couple answers. So the first one is Mr. Belsky's absolutely right in that regard is that it's not necessarily good or bad. It is relative to expectations. People thought inflation was going to be high. The problem has been is it's remained higher than we had anticipated and for longer than we anticipated. And if you remember last year, there was a lot of talk of called transitory inflation, which kind of made us laugh in, in ours to a certain extent because everything given a long enough timeline is transitory, right? Is It's temporary. Um it's how long it's going to be temporary is a more of the, is the bigger problem. And certainly it's been longer than most have anticipated. And so assuming the Federal Reserve is under that same guise, now they have, you know, at the end of the day, their mandate is to have full employment and have controlled inflation. And controlled inflation to them is around that 2% range. Well, we're in the eights right now. So one has clearly been taken care of. Full employment, we're certainly there. Um the other one they need to work on. And that's what's happening right now is that 
even though numbers are starting to come down, and in our opinion, and we can talk about this, is that we feel like we've seen peak inflation. And we don't feel like the numbers are going to accelerate from here. We think they're actually going to come down. The question is, is how aggressive does the Fed have to be to get that number down to that controlled number that they feel comfortable with? Because the side effect of what they do to control inflation is an unfortunate side effect. It slows economic growth. Mm -hmm. So are they going to give too much medicine to the system to actually make us sick from a perspective of the economy and put us into a recession? That's what the bigger concern is right now. So the Fed, you said they have two mandates, full employment and steady eddy kind of inflation. A yep. little bit of inflation is two okay. Two to two and a half percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a video game that, uh, you know, you played as a kid where you press the A button and out the other end, the character does what you want them to do. Exactly. So they've adjusted interest rates this year, I went three, four times now. Yeah. And um, at pretty much the most uh, aggressive pace we've seen since the early 1980s. So again, they're, at, they're injecting a lot of medicine into our system, right? Um, and so that level of persistence and that the speed in which they're doing is causing investors to say, well, well uh, you know, we're not going to know the effects of this until almost a year down the road. And if you're going too far too fast and it's going to cause us a difficult uh, in economic environment, we may be in this for a little while longer if they're oversubscribing that medication. Mm-hmm. And it'll take us time to see whether or not that pans out. Absolutely. Okay, good. And how is inflation impacting the stock market now? Yeah. So that's the thing about inflation is it impacts literally everything, right? Is that bonds, especially, right? Bonds are really not good during inflationary environments because the value of those coupon payments become less. And then also Feds are ra- Fed, Federal Reserve is probably going to be raising interest rates to control that inflation, which creates bond prices to go down. So that's overall generally just math in that regard. So the bond market does not like inflation at all. The stock market doesn't mind normalized inflation, 2 3%, because it does mean that companies receive more revenue, they're going to hire people, they're going to keep the economy and the engine running from that perspective. Uncontrolled inflation is not good for anybody because they can't get their hands around their, the price, the cost of their materials and the things they're going to do from their business side, nor how much they're going to be able to pass through to a consumer who will eventually just say, well, the price is too high. I don't want to spend that anymore. And so I'm going to cut back and then you cause another recession. So from our perspective, inflation, you know, from the stock market, that's what the number one concern is. There's no question in my mind right now about our ability to control that inflation going forward. It's not so much the inflation that we have right now. It's how quickly do we get it normalized and what has to happen to be a, to, to get that under control. That's what the stock market is dealing with. And that's why you're seeing such volatility and, and a pretty decent downslide in the market so far this year. Okay. And ultimately for people that are on a fixed income, you know, retirees, everything's going up, the costs are going up for everything. And you have a social security increase that we'll probably get again at the end of this year that will be probably fairly healthy given where inflation's at. But it's oftentimes not enough to keep pace with the cost of goods. If you're still working and you have inflation, but you're also getting a three, four, five percent raise at work, that can help to offset that quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's round one, talking a little bit about inflation. A lot of questions about that. Uh, Round two, 
Tell us what's going on with interest rates and bonds. I mean, high level, what's happened with interest rates this year and why is that? And it ties back to the Fed that you talked about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So to control inflation, the Fed has a couple of tools at their disposal, but the biggest one and the, and the one they use most aggressively is raising interest rates. Because if you raise interest rates, it makes it more difficult to have economic activity. Things become more expensive, right? To do a project, you know, if a company wants to build a new building, well, if they were paying 2%, now they're paying 7%, they may think twice about building that building, right? So that's what interest rate rises do. From a bond perspective, that's bad because, you know, historically, if you bought a bond and you got a 2% coupon rate, right? Well, if interest rates are rising, all of a sudden that bond value is less because the new bonds that are coming out are paying four, five, six percent interest, right? So you have to offer a discount in that bond in order for it to be that two, you know, because you're only getting that two percent coupon. Mm-hmm. So that's why you know, bonds have a negative time during interest rate rising phenomenon. And again, going back to what I said before, is the Fed is doing that faster right now than they have done since the early part of the 1980s. That's why you're also seeing bond performance this year, which, again, this probably has surprised investors even more than the stock market. Is the stock market people are used to, you know, ups and downs years, right? Well, in the bond market, we've had generally 40 years of tailwind as interest rates have been coming down. Now that that's going the other way, bonds are down 12, almost 15% this year in certain regards. That's what people are not used to in their portfolios is looking at their bonds and saying, whoa, these things actually go down this much and can go down this much in a year. We're, we're lined up right now. If we were to end the year right now, we would have the worst bond market performance since the 1970s. Yeah, that's not good. And no. So if you had a bond that was paying 2% and you paid X dollars for that bond and now interest rates have increased and that same bond from a similar company would pay 4%. Who wants the old 2%, the value of that bond goes down because everyone wants the 4%. So yeah, that's uh, we've seen a lot of that this year. Yes. I looked yesterday in the U.S. aggregate bond market, uh, AGG measures the mm-hmm. overall uh, U.S. bond market. It was down 14% and change. And yeah. that's, uh, that's not the norm. Yeah. So long-term treasuries, because the longer you are out in maturity, so if you go 20 and 30 years out, let's say, for example, uh, the worse the interest rate rises hurt you. So long-term treasuries right now, a ticker called TLT is down almost 30% this year. And that's treasuries. Wow. So it's 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 a pretty crazy bond market. I thought, thought you couldn't lose money with the government. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess over time. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a tough one. And uh, the question I've had, uh, you know, once this week at least was, um, you know, gosh, if I could get 4% on bonds, why should I monkey around with the market and what it's doing right now if I can lock in 4%? And thinking through that, if you get a 4% coupon, you're getting that 4% income. But if interest rates continue to increase, which it's expected they probably will, unless you tell me otherwise, but that that 4% bond also gets outdated and people want the 5% bond and you see your bond values go down in value. So you want to consider that as well. And if you're down 10, 15, 20% in the market, I think the S&P 500 is down 24% or so year to date. If you switch from the equity market into bonds and you lock in a 20% loss, that's five years, assuming no price change on your bond to be able to recoup the loss that occurred with that. So- Yep, that's exactly what you want to think about right there is exactly what you said at the end is that your time to recovery, if you were to take this, the first thing was absolutely right is that, hey, before when you were getting 
almost nothing for income from your bonds, you're at least getting 4% now. So there is an argument to be made to be buying bonds, right? The problem is, is again, if you're shifting that aggressively and saying, I'm only going to buy that, you are locking in significant losses and your time to recovery in bonds is just significantly longer. Over history would tell us that. Now, if you think that, you know, we're in economic calamity, which I absolutely do not think that's the case, then, you know, maybe that's a viable alternative. But over longer periods of time, having that blend has always been beneficial over time because you're getting income and lower volatility from one side and you're getting growth from the other side. You just don't want to over skew yourself in that regard and, and lock in losses that are going to be difficult to recover from. Yep. And then uh, inverted yield curve, which sounds like a skateboarder move. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I broke my arm doing that one. <laughs> Can you explain what is an inverted yield curve? Why do we care about that? Yeah. Yeah. Real simple is that an inverted yield curve is just basically when short term interest rates are higher than long term interest rates. So the one that's mainly used is two year treasuries versus 10 year treasuries. We are inverted when two-year treasury yields are higher than 10-year treasury yields. And that can happen. And the reason why people pay attention to it is two things. One, or, or short-term interest rates are much more driven by federal, federal Reserve action. So the Fed raising interest rates is going to raise your two-year treasury rate, right? 10-year treasury rates are much more driven by economic sentiment. So what do we think is going to happen in the economy? Do we Are we thinking we're going to be healthy? Are we thinking we're going to have a problem? Those kinds of things. So when you see it invert, it means the, the general perception out there is that short-term rates are rising, but long-term rates, we're going to have some problems in the economy and we're going to have an inverted yield curve as a result. The other reason people have looked at that is historically an inverted yield curve has been a precursor to recessions in the past. There's nothing mechanical that says that an inverted yield curve causes a recession. There's nothing about that. You know, there's nothing technically that would say that. It's just that economic sentiment that we talked about before. You know, generally when people have that perception, sometimes it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy and you get yourself towards, you know, the inverted yield curve, whether it's six months beforehand or even a year and a half, that inverted yield curve has been a pre precursor to prior recessions in the past. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So that was round uh, round two. We talked about interest rates there. Round three, the stock market. We love it. We hate it. <laughs> and uh, many people get in when it's at the top and they get out when it's at the bottom. Another great quote from the, the conference we were at last week was, investing should never be a moment in time, but a disciplined long-term process. That was another Belsky quote, mm -hmm. which I thought was great. Uh, so never a moment in time and in moment in time, our emotions drive things a lot of times versus yes. having a good disciplined long-term focus. And to me, a big driver of that is when do you need the money? If you don't need the money today, if you're invested in things that are diversified and you believe the world is st still going to be standing five years down the road in general, depending on your situation, stick with it. Things will come back. Um, and every time there is a, a market upheaval and the things that we're going through right now, there's always the fear. This is the big one. We're not going to come back yep. from this. But it, if that were the case, we have bigger issues. But um, <laughs> what has the stock market done in general this year? What do you see uh, having occurred? Yeah. Yeah. So the stock market has had a difficult year. There's there's no sugarcoating that. We're down over 20 percent now at this point. And, and really, you know, it goes back to, you know, exactly what you said is that we're never a snapshot in time is that 
that's where you get, you know, human emotion is actually the exact opposite of what you should, you know, the fight or flight strategy uh, with regard to the stock market is almost a very difficult proposition because it leads people to making irrational emotional decisions at the worst possible time. Stock market is one of the few markets where things are on sale and everybody runs away right? Is that, and when it's more expensive, everybody wants it. So you have to kind of think of yourself in opposite path from your normal perception capabilities, right? And so from our perspective, you know, three out of four years, generally the stock market is up, right? And so a lot of times we hear the stock market is a casino. Well, if there's a casino that gives 75% positive odds, can you, can you point me in that direction, please? (laughs) But it's, you know, in the long-term average of the stock market is eight to 10%. But is it up eight to ten percent every year? Almost never. Um, you know, it is much more. You pay, you get your eight to ten percent by living through these times where you have minus twenties and minus tens, and then on the other side you get plus thirties and plus thirty fives. I mean, everybody asks me when the next two thousand eight is, but nobody asks me when the next two thousand thirteen, two thousand nineteen, you know, two thousand twenty, when we had twenty five, thirty percent plus returns during those periods. Mm-hmm. And so, from that perspective, that's why it is staying the course and in the in the time over time and especially using that bucket approach that you just talked about before with regard to, hey, what do you need now? What do you need a little bit from now? And what do you need significantly farther from now is going to have a real sense of what you should be invested in as a result of that. That's good. And what are your thoughts? Uh, I often get the question, is the market going to continue to go down? Is it going to continue to go up? Uh, Getting out the crystal ball again, my response usually when people ask me what's going to happen with the market in the future, my response is it's going to change. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we don't know for sure. And if you line up uh, a lot of experts, you might get, you know, 14 different opinions on what's going to happen. So in the end, we don't know. But what's what's kind of your read and thoughts on uh, where you see things going from here? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit before is that I do think we're at peak inflation. I think we've already seen it. in my opinion. And so I think inflation, which is, again, everybody's number one concern, I think as that comes down and as the, you know, and and so from a perspective of feds being aggressive, the Federal Reserve being aggressive, I think we're getting close to the peak of that as well. And them saying, you know, everybody is absolutely saying interest rates have to go up, are going to continue to go up and all of this right now, which is leading to negative sentiment across the board. I think we're at the closer to the peak than the trough of that. So if we can get over that hump, and I don't know when that's going to be, if it's 5 10% from now, that can happen. Just intraday fluctuations can get mm-hmm. us there right now. We're in a very volatile time frame. But over longer periods of time, if that's actually accurate, that inflation is going to start to come down, economic health is generally still okay right now. We're slowing, but we're not in recessionary conditions, I don't believe, right now. So if we're going to be generally slightly okay, even if we're slowing, and all those other sentiment numbers are coming down from a from a perspective of inflation, I think generally the fourth quarter could start to look better going forward. Now, does that mean we're absolutely going to go right back to the highs in the next 10 months? I don't think so. I think this is... We're in we're in more steady eddy type of mode here. Once we get past all of this silly volatility, once we get in that, then I think it's a grind higher type of approach because again, at the beginning of or the end of 2021, early part of 2022, valuations were very high. We were doing, frankly, some silly things with regard to the meme stocks and all these high valuation stuff. That stuff isn't coming back. 
But what will come back is good companies growing at solid that are play, trading at reasonable valuations. And those are the kinds of things where if they just do their block and tackling, that's when we start to come back and form that long-term growth trajectory that we're looking for. I think that could start as early as Q4. And I think 2023, if we're right that we're not going to fall into a deep recession, that's our current base case right now, 2023 could be a pretty good year. Good. All right. Excellent. Um, the other thing too, we're talking about the importance of staying invested. It's a long-term discipline process. It, Great Investments actually put out a, a chart, uh, and I'm, I'm disappointed Tony's not here because we like to bring out visuals for our podcast uh, from oh. time to time. So <laughs> I hope Tony listens to this later. But yeah, putting things into perspective is the title of this. And you guys pointed out that the market this year, it's down 20% or so, depending on the day or depending on the index. But if you look over the last 10 years, it's up over 200% mm -hmm. over the past 10 years. So the recency effect and the market doing what it's doing, we're all focused on that. And you turn on the TV, they're selling things to us. The, you know, the commercials that we watch as we look at the news or whatever program, uh, their job is to keep you hooked to that. So yes. it's always, you know... The, the lowest lows in the last 47 days, who cares? But it's hard to do that and keep that into perspective when you see your statements going down in value month after month, but it will come back. And, and depending too on how one is invested, if you're invested in a particular company that isn't there tomorrow because it wasn't a solid company, it, it failed, the money you invested in that is gone. But if you're invested in the overall US stock market, the world economy, that's not going away. It's going to come back. The question is when and at what pace. And as we've seen historically, that typically moves very quickly. There's a, a piece I reference from time to time that uh, a number of companies put out, but it's talking about the importance of staying invested. And if you look over a 20 year period of time, uh, the average return on the stock market, the S&P 500 as an example, is over 9%, around it to 10%. Mm -hmm. If you miss the 10 best days in the market, it drops down to about four and a half percent. Yep. In, 10 best days over that time frame. So you you cannot time it. People try to do that. They want to do that. And you hear about the wins that they've had, but you don't hear about the losses Yeah, <laughs> uh, is very common. So you have to stay, in my opinion, invested long-term. And like you said, stick with it when the, the times are tough. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, a real simple adage and it's a bit crass, but it's you know, the, the best times to be buying are probably the times where you feel like you're going to throw up, you know, <laughs> it, it just is what it is. And, and yeah. that's where the mentality of staying the course and having that plan where there's certain components of your assets that aren't taking that level of risk so that you can weather the storms of those longer tailed things where you feel like you're going to be sick. That's how, that's what a financial plan can do for you is give you that confidence because you have safe assets, you have income-oriented assets that are going to continue to generate for you. And over longer periods of time, the mentality shifts from panicking away from those times to trying to profit as a result of those times. And that's that's really where the financial plan can help you in that. Yeah. Just an example of that, you know, the S&P 500 index, it's an index of the 500 largest U.S. companies. They don't call it the S&P 500, S&P 499. Right. So one of those companies... <laughs> does happen to disappear pretty likely but that could happen if that does disappear they replace it with a different company and the index keeps marching on so yeah it will come back and usually it's not even that that company goes away it's usually it just gets a little smaller and there's another growing company that's getting bigger yep. and that's how that index kind of continue it refreshes itself from time to time right there's people that there you know there's stocks that have been in there for a long time johnson and johnson right 
But then there's other companies that come in and come out as, as they grow and as others start to mature. Just like my wardrobe, it refreshes itself from time to time after being transient. Well, yeah, that butterfly collar you got going right now is certainly there. <laughs> they're, co- they're coming back. <laughs> um, value at growth stocks. What What's the difference between those? Why do we care? What's in favor or out of favor right now? Yeah, yeah. So the real difference in value versus growth. And sometimes people get a little bit confused by this. Really, value stocks are just generally... They tend to be a little bit more mature on that cycle. Think your Johnson and Johnsons and those types of stocks that have been around for a long time. They tend to trade a little cheaper over an extended period because they don't have that high level of growth. Value stocks doesn't mean declining. It just means they're not growing, you know, at an above average rate over an extended period of time. That's what value stocks come into play. And usually valuations are cheaper. That's why they're called value. Growth stocks, they tend to be higher than average growth, is that their either revenue profiles or their earnings profiles are growing faster than the overall market. And generally, as a result of that growth, you're going to pay a higher valuation for those companies over an extended period of time. So during longer periods, you know, that tends to ebb and flow, right? Is that sometimes people are go, go growth and will pay higher and higher valuations for those stocks because they think the economy is good and these guys are gaining market share and we want to own more and more of this. Right now, we're in the other environment, and we have been for the better part of nine or 10 months at this point now, is that people are preferring value stocks because they want that more stability, a little bit more resiliency during economic declines than what you would get from some of the growth companies, especially the growth companies that at the end of 2021 were trading at extremely high valuations. That's where the major decimation has been. We're talking like 60, 70, 80% declines in some of those stocks. Now, other stocks in the value space are down as well, or down, but they're not down as much because they're a little bit more resilient models and they didn't get as expensive going up into that. So now you're seeing a a preference of value over growth. But again, that ebbs and flows over time. And, and you know, we have portfolios that do both uh, individually and we have do one that does collectively. So we think there's a that a blended approach to value and growth stocks is absolutely fine. And what we look at is where are the opportunities lying going forward between them, never taking full growth and never taking full value, just maybe tilting the portfolios a little bit one way versus the other. Okay, that's good. Um, I was talking to a client a couple weeks ago that stuck with me and he said, gosh, we were talking about the market and what's going on. And he said, wasn't it nice when all we had to worry about was COVID? (laughs) Referring to (laughs) the market. Yeah. (sighs) Inflation and Ukraine and uh, all the stuff that's occurred over the last year. uh, Well, yeah, this, I mean, honestly, some in in this regard, it's certainly probably been even a little bit more painful because COVID, you know, the COVID correction happened so fast. Mm -hmm. Most didn't have a chance to react, right? If you had two statements, one March, it fell 30%. In April, it was up another like 12. So you kind of got it back yep. fairly quickly in the COVID environment. This has been much more of the, you know, for lack of a better term, a little bit of a longer tail beat down, right? Is that it's just been kind of dragging itself downward. Sometimes that can be more mentally painful than than the than the quick correction that we saw for COVID. We'll call it long market COVID. There you go. Long market COVID is exactly right. <laughs> uh, the last thing on markets, so you touched on this a little bit, is the market's up three out of four years mm-hmm. on average. And the other thing, you guys have a, a great piece on this that uh, is a good reminder, is the average bull market is uh, 4.4 4 
years over history. I think 4.4 years on That's average. That's the average length. Yep. Yep. Average bear market is 11 months. Yeah. So it's easy to lose sight of what the market does long term, but it helps to look at that long term perspective. Um, so last last round here, round four, given what's happened in the market this year, what do you see as some of the most popular gradient investments portfolios and why do you think feel their, their positions uh, going forward for what's to come? Yeah. First and foremost is our buffered index portfolio. Um, and, and the reason for that is what we've been saying um, for quite some time is two different things. Is that one, when interest rates had hit 0.0% almost basically, where you were almost getting nothing from income, there wasn't a lot of reason to hold bonds or there wasn't, you know, people hold bonds for two reasons in particular. Usually it's income and the other one is to lower the volatility against the stock market. Well, income wasn't there and volatility can be relative, (laughs) especially as we're seeing right now in the bond market. So what we were saying is there has to be a viable alternative for us to protect assets, but also participate on the upside if we were to have a market rebound. That's where the buffered index portfolio comes into play. There's that inherent level of protection, whether that's for the first 10 or 15 or maybe even 20% of market declines, that doesn't participate that as long as you hold it to maturity. It, it If you were down 17%, you had a 20% buffer, you would be down zero. But the other side of that coin is that if markets rebound, it has participation up to a cap. And those caps right now are pretty good in the 25, 30% range to where if the market's up 20% over the next two years, you would get that full 20%. Now, if the market's up 50, you may be capped at 30, but that's still a pretty darn good return for that two-year time frame. So again, under that thought process of saying, well, historically we use bonds to protect, well, they're not that attractive right now. How can I protect but still participate? The buffered index portfolio really fits that, that space well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we're using that a lot as well with our clients right now. And uh, the way those work is the pricing on those actually gets better when you have more volatility and interest rates are increasing. That's helped improve those as well. So they're a, a great alternative tool and uh, the number of different structures for those that we can utilize based on someone's situation through our partnership with with you at Great Investment. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we are big fans of that. So um, Again, thank you, folks, for tuning in. Jeremy, thank you very much for joining us here today. And You're very going, welcome, sir. Going four rounds here with us. <laughs> uh, if you have questions about your portfolio, about your retirement plan, if you have uh, anything that you need help with, you have friends, family members that need help with this stuff, give us a call and go through our complimentary second opinion process where we'll show you here's some ideas, some recommendations, strategies on how you can optimize everything that you have and getting the most out of your retirement, having confidence to navigate all of these crazy things going on out there. Give us a call if you'd like to set that up. Our number is 651-842-8406. Or you can visit us online at financialpaladin.com or send us an email at info at financialpaladin.com. And again, thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Paladin Financial Talk. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Jeff Foley at Paladin Financial. Call 877-219-3199 or visit their website at financialpaladin.com.
Advisory services offered through Paladin Wealth LLC, a Minnesota registered investment advisor. Paladin Wealth LLC offers advisory services under the DBA Paladin Financial and Paladin Wealth. Insurance products and services offered through Paladin Insurance LLC. Paladin Wealth LLC and Paladin Insurance LLC are affiliated companies. Jeff Foley and Paladin Financial are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation.